Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to a special edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, I will get some listener feedback and answer some of your questions. I'm recording this around the 4th of July holiday, an extra podcast with something a little bit different. I'm going to play some comments that some of you have left for me after listening to my podcast, and I'll address some of the questions you raised. We will talk about the terms illegal immigrant, alien, and migrant, and how they're being used. We will talk about who the FBI does and doesn't seem to target when it comes to potential terrorists and mass killers. And we'll also talk about the origins of COVID, my investigation that revealed a whole lot. Before we do that, a bit about big tech censorship on behalf of corporate and political interests. It continues to roar on. A lot of you know I have a website, CherylAckison.com. I post my content. I link to factual stories and views, particularly that are off narrative or information that is otherwise difficult to find because of those trying to shape our information. You might enjoy exploring the censored tab at the top of the site, CherylAckison.com. Another very important component on my website is under the health tab. There's a lot of COVID vaccine and medical information, fact-based, sourced, peer-reviewed, published studies, scientific sources. Well, in today's managed environment, all of that makes certain interests very, very uncomfortable, if not angry, because that kind of information fact-based information that's not slanted by special interests, well, it stands to hit them in the bottom line, some of these people trying to control the information. And it sends them out of their collective minds when they can't control it. Well, one way they control information, besides the obvious ways you already know about, it's through Google Ads. The way it works, if you run a website like I do, there are a lot of expenses associated with it. Ironically, the more people who visit, the more it costs (laughs) to get a server and capacity for the website that won't crash. And I've had to hire very small, hardworking staff to help out. Well, Google Ads can help defray a bit of the cost. Basically, the way it works, you allow Google to rotate ads of their choice in spaces on your website, and then you earn money off visits or clicks. Well, that's all well and good, except Google can then use its purse strings to control content. And they recently cut off the ads on my site, meaning I can no longer earn any money or defray some of those costs, at least with Google Ads, until and unless I agree to take down dozens of fact-based, footnoted, factually accurate stories that they have flagged as dangerous and harmful. These are stories that touch on important medical, vaccine, and COVID topics. Some of the stories they flagged are simply published studies with no commentary, peer-reviewed published studies or excerpts of stories published in other publications overseas or here in the United States, publications that they wouldn't dare to censor because they're on the certain side of the political spectrum or they take certain views. And yet when I found these little nuggets in these mainstream publications that are off the narrative and I publish them, they call that dangerous or untrue content. And they're demanding that it come down. Well, I won't do it. Those stories are staying put, and you can use my website and count on it as being unconflicted by special interests. You can count on the information that I present as factual and accurate unless I'm presenting it as something else, such as a viewpoint or an opposing viewpoint. You will find a lot of scientific notes, 
a lot of references, particularly under the health information and the health tab, so that you can share this with your friends and find information that really is hard to find other places because of the way the internet is now being managed. But I thought you might find it interesting to know yet another way that propagandists can impact and control our entire information landscape. It's a bit chilling. You know, I call it a bait and switch. Big tech got all of us reliant on their services back when they were freewheeling and open. And then once we became dependent on them, on behalf of special and corporate interests that figured it out, well, they switched up the game. Big tech began to use us as a captured audience they could control and sell. Control what we see, what we think, what we say. Very Orwellian. I've written a lot about this in my books, Slanted and The Smear. And I don't think in the long run that it succeeds. As I've written, the truth finds a way to be told. It may take a while, but it finds a way to be told. And even people who think they don't want the truth, or maybe they've been convinced for the moment that they want third parties to intervene and curate their information. What a crazy idea just a couple of years ago, and now people accept it and invite it. But I think even those people ultimately inherently seek the truth and know they're not getting it. So ultimately, this plan falls apart. And I do think maybe we're seeing a little bit of the pendulum swing back more to common sense, open information, and exposing the propagandists. I sure hope so. Now, here's the first listener comment. Hello, my name is Michael Boone. I'm a retired Border Patrol agent. And what you finished with on your podcast is interesting that uh, everyone is starting to use migrant and then they, previous to that, they used immigrant, when the actual correct terminology is alien. There are many classes of aliens. There are illegal aliens. There are, um, some of those classes are immigrants and non-immigrants. Not every alien is an immigrant, and not every illegal alien is an immigrant. Many of them are non-immigrants. I just wanted to uh, have you understand that, that the terminology has been changed over the last three or four decades, and the correct terminology is alien. You can look it up under definitions in Title Eight of the U.S. Code. He makes a great point and reminds me of a couple of thoughts and stories, ones that I had or developed or experienced in the two decades that I was at CBS News. I realized that illegal immigrant doesn't cover the entire population of the people crossing the border illegally because it doesn't include people who are crossing back and forth to move illegal drugs or to engage in human trafficking. Those are not immigrants. And so it is correct to say that under the law, and this is actually the term that was used, not intended as any sort of insult, it was just a technical term that was made to sound like an insult by people who didn't want the term used, but technically it is alien, illegal alien. And under the subgroup of that, as Michael Boone pointed out, there are illegal immigrants and migrants and all kinds of other things, drug dealers. But the point is well taken. The generalized descriptor that we have adopted as an industry or that we had adopted for the last couple of decades was not technically accurate in all respects. And I've put a lot of thought into mistakes I may have made, particularly as a young journalist, or even before I thought about some of these things. And I've spoken more recently in the last few years about the peril that journalists face when we adopt unthinkingly 
the language of propagandists or even activists and advocates, regardless of which side, we should be really careful to stay close to facts and not fall victim to the notion that we have to say certain things or report things a certain way when it may not be factually accurate, simply because one side or the other wants us to report something in a way that slants to their benefit or that they like better or that they've decided describes something the way they want to be described. Now, that reminds me of a story some years back. Gosh, it's probably been 15 years now. When I was at CBS and there was a lot of politically correct thinking and thought going into newsrooms, some of it perfectly valid discussion. We should evaluate our practices and our language from time to time, but not sacrifice accuracy for the sake of pleasing some advocates on one side or the other. But in any event, a memo came out from the woman that was in charge of this sort of thing that went to the whole news division that said we were changing our terminology as a company, as a news division. We are no longer going to call people illegal immigrants. We are going to call them undocumented workers. And yes, I have been part of the liberal culture of CNN and CBS and PBS for decades. And yes, often accused of liberal reporting. Maybe in retrospect, some of my reporting inadvertently was, but I've tried very hard uh, to make my reporting fair, particularly when I reflected upon criticisms and tried to get at why we were using certain terms and reporting things certain ways. But in any event, even in the extremely liberal newsroom environment at CBS, there was an uproar over this because a lot of people thought exactly what I did. Undocumented workers is an even smaller descriptive subset of illegal aliens who crossed the border. And so apparently, after this memo went out, a lot of people, I was told, flooded the person who put out the memo with a response that said that was not appropriate to change illegal immigrant to undocumented workers. And they pointed out, and I had the same thought, undocumented workers certainly doesn't cover the children who are brought here illegally. They are not undocumented workers. It doesn't cover the drug dealers and the criminals who come not for work. They're coming for other reasons. Those are not undocumented workers. Sometimes people come and their family members who aren't intending to work, maybe moms, pregnant moms who are going to stay home. They are not undocumented workers. So surprisingly, and I'm not sure it would happen today, but back then, the memo was rescinded. We all got a note that said um, we were not going to change the term illegal immigrant to undocumented workers after all. So very interesting. Thank you for your call. Here's the next one. Cheryl, doing a super job on the podcast. Love them. I share them. I send them all over the place here in uh, Sarasota and Manatee County. Keep up the great work. I think uh, you basically broke the Fauci story, or at least confirmed it with your references. Many of us knew of this last year, but uh, no confirmation until your report came out, and then everyone jumped on it. Keep up the great work. Love it. Why, thank you very much. I think the story he's referring to is the investigation I did that I called Separating Rumor from Fact on COVID-19's Origin. And now a lot of what I reported is fairly well known and is accepted as fact by even some of the news organizations that denied or glossed over this initially. 
But what I reported was numerous scientific insiders are signing on to the lab origin theory, and this was last year, by the way, that I reported this, for COVID-19, signing off on a link to controversial research funded by your tax dollars. These are things that were called conspiracy theories early on, but were actually, as many people knew, the most logical theories that turned out to be true. I also reported high-profile health figures who have worked to debunk lab origin questions are linked to funding and vaccine research partnerships with China's Wuhan Institute of Virology. Again, people said that was unproven or debunked conspiracy theory, and it actually turned out to be very provable and true. Next, I reported the U.S.-Chinese research involved genetically engineered bat coronavirus to make it infect human airway cells in mice in order to vent vaccines and other therapeutics. Again, that's well-documented, the description of the research that the U.S. partnered uh, with the Chinese on, including the controversial Chinese bat researcher who was sort of a lead researcher at the Wuhan lab. We were funding this research to engineer bat coronavirus. There's not a doubt about this. Documented in the study documents, which I've included. I'll tell you where to find this if you're curious. Um, And then I also reported... U.S. taxpayer money supported the controversial vaccine research with Chinese scientists through the National Institutes of Health and the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, and some support came from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases led by Dr. Anthony Fauci, with sort of an obvious question and conflict being why early on when Dr. Fauci and some of his peers and colleagues were working so hard to controversialize and debunk and discredit anybody who talked about the, what now seems to be obvious potential link to the lab, why did he not disclose that he was part of funding decisions to send U.S. taxpayer money to that lab and to the scientists involved at the lab or who work at the lab and to to research that was done in partnership with the lab? That would seem to be a pretty important potential conflict of interest that should be disclosed by a responsible public health figure who's involved in these very issues and who should be pressing the Chinese to cooperate in the investigation, which they refuse to do. But maybe, one could theorize, the Americans involved in helping fund the research didn't want the Chinese to cooperate on the investigation because it would lead to, partly at least, what we discovered, which was We funded it. We funded some of this research in part that was so controversial. We funded the lab and helped that lab, the Wuhan lab. So if it was involved in releasing genetically engineered coronavirus, would our researchers who are part of that really want us to find out? Would they want the Chinese to cooperate? Maybe that's why we didn't really give much blowback to the Chinese for their failure to cooperate, even though many independent scientists say the Chinese failure to let us in for examinations and providing us documents, the the fact that they failed to do that may have resulted in us not being able to take actions we could have taken to avoid death and maybe help stop the spread. It's almost like all of that's forgotten. In fact, we went to the Chinese Olympics fussing at them about their human rights violations, and I didn't see any mention about us being upset or trying to hold their feet to the fire or get cooperation over a pandemic that they refused to cooperate on the investigation with that has killed, you know, millions of people by the government's own account. If you want to read my investigation and watch the video that I made, 
I really wanted to do a fact-based, documented, footnoted, cited investigation so you can see for yourself and choose whether to believe it or not, but you could see for yourself all of the sources and citations, the study documents where it mentions that we did fund gain-of-function research despite what Dr. Fauci later testified to. All of that's there, and you can find that at CherylAckison.com under the Health tab. It's the story under COVID-19 origins, but you could also just search on my website, probably search rumor from fact. That's a phrase in the headline, separating rumor from fact on COVID-19's origin, and it should show up for you there, along with the video that illustrates what I also reported and transcribed. Much more after a short break. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the Store tab for a great way to do that. We just designed some thought-provoking beach towels for summer you'll love to show off and make a statement with at the beach or the pool or hang them in your guest bathroom. They feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the ION Awards for Off-Narrative Accurate Reporting. Visit CherylAckison.com and click the Store tab. Here's the next call. Cheryl, I have a question for you. During your podcast on the FBI, why is it we didn't ask him about the DOJ uh, making parents who stand up against critical race theory uh, domestic terrorists? Um, I think uh, when he said the uh, FBI uh, leadership stated there was an increase in domestic terror, they were referring to uh, families who are trying to stand up for their children. You need to ask that question. Thank you. Good point. And there's a teeny bit of confusion, which is my fault or just sort of part of the format. He's talking, I think, about my podcast where I discussed how the FBI has had a heads up on many, many mass killers before they killed, but somehow not been able to stop them. I mean, it's pretty eye-opening when, when I traced how many of these high-profile shootings and murders, um, and how many of those cases, either a family member or the killer himself had gone to the FBI and disclosed that they might be a killer or were being radicalized. Um, In one case, the case of the Boston Marathon murderers, those brothers had been brought to our attention by the Russians, who had told our intelligence agencies that these radicalized brothers were here in the U.S. and should be watched. And I believe one of them had been interviewed by the FBI. The FBI was fully aware of them and yet said they had no reason to follow and monitor them. And then they went on to become the bombers at the Boston Marathon. Well, if you listen to the podcast and or watch my corresponding report on my Sunday TV program, Full Measure, you heard the FBI side of the story talk about the domestic threats and how the FBI determined who to follow, who to target, and why. And yes, you might think, why didn't I ask this guy about the Department of Justice targeting of parents 
who are raising objections at school board meetings. You might even ask why there have been some fairly recent cases where the FBI crossed paths with mass killers before they killed, shot, or whatnot. Why I didn't ask about those specific cases as I counted many other specific cases, and that's because that story came out originally, gosh, probably almost a year ago. So what you were listening to was a repeat, if you're watching a repeat of the TV program, or even the podcast, it was something that had been posted previous to these latest incidents. If you want to listen to it, still, I think a great accounting of all of the ones that have happened in the past, the mass killings and shootings in which these killers had crossed paths somehow with the FBI in advance. It's my podcast number 125 on the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, and I call it the FBI's Big Misses. I love hearing from you, and I didn't even know until recently that there's a way for you guys to leave a voice message for me after you listen to the podcast. I believe the way to do that is if you're listening on Spotify, or it's actually a platform called Anchor, there is a message bubble. And I thought that was some kind of text message option, but it's actually the ability to leave a voice message for me. And then somehow it goes into my in mailbox and I can periodically listen for those. Thanks for weighing in, everybody. Hope to do it again soon. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and now you can support independent journalism by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, Think for yourself.